Richard thins out. Um, we have been in Proverbs now for the last several weeks, um, looking at kind of topics out of Proverbs and what does Proverbs have to say about said topic. And so we've looked at emotions, we've looked at conflict, we've looked at friendship, we've looked at self-control, um, we've looked at wisdom. And I, I want us to be reminded that, that we have defined wisdom as being skilled at living, right? It, it's the ability to, to see what God has called us to, to know that he has woven wisdom into the fabric of creation. And so it's not just knowing the right things and having intellectual information, but it's also being able to, to activate that um, by God's spirit, by his grace in our lives. And so live wise lives in relationships um, with finances, with all the different topics that we see in Proverbs. Because if you remember in Matthew, we saw that, right, that the one who builds his house on, on wisdom, on the solid rock, and the one who builds it on foolishness, on the sand, right, both build, and the circumstances come to both. Storms of life come to both. And in one who's built on the wisdom of God, their house withstands, their life withstands um, the trials and the, the torment that life can bring, while the one who builds it on foolishness right, on, on self-wisdom instead of God's wisdom, their house is washed away. And so we know that wisdom is a person, it's Jesus, and that he is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And so what we're doing as we study Proverbs is we are asking for wisdom, we're asking for God to, to grant it and to give it, that we don't just check our boxes at knowing some more things, of recognizing where a verse is, but that it begins to find its way into the very fabric of our life, that we would be wise and live wisely. And so this morning, the topic we're going to look at is the topic of work. Now, listen, for some of you, you just went, phew, right? Because it's not emotional or relational, right? Well, I mean, work is relational, but right? But you're just thinking, I'm off the hook a little bit. And so for some of you, you heard work and you immediately bristled, right? Because you're thinking about your current work situation and the hairs on the back of your neck stood up and you're like, right, I'm not pleased with my situation, and we know that with work, right, some of the reasons that it could bristle might be, um, right, a lack of money, right, that you don't feel like you're making enough. Probably one of the biggest ones would be a lack of respect, right, that you're not being treated um, as you would, would believe you should be. It may just be that you actually have a really bad boss. Um, it may be that there is drama among the, the office and your, your coworkers. It may be that you just don't have passion for the job that you are currently working, Right, that all of these things could kind of make you bristle at the thought of, of work. Um, in Ecclesiastes, it tells us that, that work, it, to some degree, is vanity. Right, that as we pursue all, this, all the work under the sun, right, that often what will then happen is we leave it to someone else. Right, all that we've obtained. Right, and, and yet Paul, in, in, um, sorry, in 1 Thessalonians 4, would say, hey, what I want for you is he's writing to the church is that you would live quiet, dignified lives working with your hands, right? Watching your, your doctrine and your lives, right? And so we see that Scripture both holds up work as something that, that, that is something that we should emulate and that we should do well, and that we should live these quiet, dignified, hardworking lives. And yet Ecclesiastes would tell us that there's some vanity to work. And this morning... We know that for most of us, we, we have a tendency, right? Because in, in any area where sin hasn't been affected, there are multiple ways that we can sin. 
And for some of us this morning, our sin is that our job, our work is our identity, right? That we really find our value in that. And for others, right, we maybe run to the other end of the spectrum where we only work really because we have to. Um, laziness would be more of a proclivity for us. Um, and, and so we are resigned to work because there are bills to be paid, right? And so work feels somewhat like without purpose. And yet, Scripture calls us to so much more as we look at this idea of, of work and of vocation. And so where I want us to start, and you may feel like we start here on a, on a weekly basis, but the world has been corrupted. And when we refer to the fall, what we mean is when sin entered the world, that God had created the world in, in perfect harmony with mankind, with himself, with nature. And so we see in Genesis 1 and 2... I just want you to think of a, a couple of verses here. This first is Genesis 1, 28. And God, so in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, it says the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Right? And so I think the first thing we just need to note is that work was mandated by God. It's it's a good thing, it's a gift, it's God's intention for the world. And so we don't see I think sometimes if we think about our jobs and our careers or our bosses or our current situations, we're like Work is definitely an outcome of the fall, right? Like it is sin and it is a curse and we shouldn't have to work, right? Like we should just be free. And yet what we see is that work is actually a God-given intent. It's a created thing for our good and for our benefit. But like the rest of life, because of sin and rebellion against a holy God, it has been absolutely corrupted. If you turn over just one chapter to chapter 3, verse 17. God is, is cursing mankind because of their rebellion against his holiness. And he says to Adam in verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? This is just idea of futility. Right? And we see the same idea in Romans 8.20, that creation at this point was subjected to futility. And so you know this, right? It's, it's, we sometimes call it Murphy's Law, right? That it feels like I just can't get ahead. That every time I've got just a little bit, then their fridge goes out, right? Or I get a, I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to have 500 bucks, and then this breaks, right? That there's a, an element of cursing and a futility to work. That Adam now is not just working the garden and allowing it to flourish, right? That he's going to, everything he's going to get is going to be by the sweat of his brow and the break, breaking of his back because sin has entered the world. And so work has been corrupted. And I think we intuitively feel this and know this, right? It, it's why there would be so many jokes about work and why we could, we could literally have a big group counseling session right now 
right? Because most everyone has issues at work. So work has been corrupted. So as we begin in the Proverbs now, we just need to kind of lay that out, that it is a good thing given by God that's been corrupted, it's been affected. And so in Proverbs, the first one I want us to look at is chapter 12, verse 14. We see this. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Right? And it just kind of begins to lay out this foundation for us that, right, that we work right, to, to gain, to, to bring something back to us, and that it's good, and that we can be satisfied by it. But immediately we see the same problem. So if you turn over to 15, chapter 15, verse 19, we see the same sort of issue emerge in the Proverbs. It says this, The way of a sluggard, a sluggard is a fancy word for lazy, is like a hedge of thorns, and the path of the upright is a level highway. And so we have talked multiple times about that there's two paths. There's the path of the wise and the fool, of the saved and the lost, of the righteous and the wicked. And what the Solomon is saying here is, listen, as you move forward, right, the lazy person's path is just more difficult. There's more work. There's this, this idea of like thorns, this vivid imagery. And the path of the upright is a level highway. That we want to be walking on the pathway that's headed towards God, not the one that is lazy, right, and, and looking to do his own thing in his own way. And so Proverbs 6 beginning in verse 6, reminds us that that really the first thing we need to consider with work is that we do it to gain the necessities of life. Listen to verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. Right? And so it just says, listen, the reason an ant works is to live. Right, And it does this without having to be told to do it. It does it, right? He's just creating this imagery of the ant does it to live, to survive. And so one of the reasons we work is because it's just kind of built into the fabric of life. We do it to gain the necessities of life. And so whether that was um, Adam, right, working by the sweat of his brow to bring crops up so that they would have enough to eat, right, and no money was involved, or whether it's you by the sweat of your brow, pouring out your energy and your effort to earn a paycheck so that you can buy food, right? We work to gain the necessities of life. Y'all remember, um, if you ever been to a doctor's office, or maybe you had a subscription at home, there was a, a magazine for kids called Highlights, and it had a comic in it about two brothers, I think they were brothers, Goofus and Gallant, Right, and it's basically Gallant's always doing the right thing, and Goofus is always messing stuff up. The Proverbs, when it comes to work and laziness, kind of lay out Goofus and Gallant a little bit. Listen to the imagery here in Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Right, that's Gallant. But whoever follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Right, and it just kind of lays out that we there's two different pursuits here, and one that provides sufficiently enough, and one that provides a sufficient amount of poverty. Right, that we we understand that the way that we approach work, that our needs can be taken care of, or they can very clearly not be. But what I want us to do before we just look at the necessities of life is is to say this: 
some of you right now are working and you're not receiving money, right? Like the, the job that you have doesn't pay because you're taking care of children, right? And so you're not bringing in a paycheck and yet no, nonetheless are you working. Or you, maybe you're retired. And so we, we need to understand that Scripture does not hold one job above another job. It does not deem you valuable based on your paycheck. It does not deem you valuable based on the title that you have or do not have at work. It does not deem it based on whether you receive a paycheck or not. That the value we're going to see is in the way that we work, not in the job that we have. And so Martin Luther says this about vocation, about work. Every occupation has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbor, and we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. And then he has a second quote that he says, God himself will milk the cows through him whose vocation that is. The idea, he says, was basically God's milking the cows through the milkmaids, right? Like that he is taking care of his creation, right, by humanity, like that we have been called to work, right, to keep what God has put into motion in motion and healthy and sustained. It's why we are to take dominion and to create beauty. And so I want us to know this morning that there is no job elevated over another job, that God calls us all to the work that we have, right? We, we want and believe that God calls doctors and teachers and lawyers, that he has equipped people to do the work that he has called them to do for the good of their family and the good of society and to honor him in the way that they work. And so the question then is why do we work? We work because it's woven into the fabric of humanity and the fabric of creation. We work to gain the necessities of life. We work because God himself worked in creation and we are reflecting his image. We work because we're meant for it. And so that what it tells us is this, is that we are working for more than to pay our bills. We're working for more than the weekends. We're working for more than enough to go on vacation. We're working for more than retirement. How do we know this? Because you work in things that you love that don't pay you anything. Right? Many of you spent yesterday with hobbies, creating in your workshop, writing, working in a studio, doing things, right, to add value and beauty to life, and no one's going to pay you for any of it, right? Because it's, you love it. We are wired to work because it honors and pleases God. And so ultimately, then, the next question is this. So, so how do we do this? In Colossians 3, verse 17 a passage that, that we go to often says this. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What Paul is reminding us is this, is sometimes we look at this moment, right? Or you, work, you look at the moment that you go to gospel community during the week and you're like, okay, I'm worshiping. When I open up my Bible in the morning, or as I pray, as I'm going to bed at night, I'm worshiping. But what he's saying is in everything that we do, in every word, in every thought, in every action, in every inaction, you are either honoring and pleasing God because you are living in light 
of your trust of him where you are in active rebellion and you're sinning against him. And there is no gray. There's no just mundane. Right? And so we want to live like we are honoring and glorifying God in everything that we're doing as parents. Right? As neighbors at really good jobs that you're really proud to have. And at first jobs that you're kind of embarrassed of. In everything that we do, we are doing it for the glory of God. Why? Because we're His image bearers. We were created in His image, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, to reflect His character, His nature, His goodness to the world. And so some of the ways that Proverbs is going to show us to do this, if you want to turn to Proverbs 11, you'll see this. The first one is that we can be generous. One gives freely, verse 24 of chapter 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. So right, he's saying, I want you to be generous. I want you to give freely of what you have. And this is financially, this is time, this is talents, this is energy, this is relationships. In every area of life that you can be generous, be generous. And he's saying, as you water, you will be watered, you'll be taken care of. Right, there's this idea in the world that we need to be stingy and hold on to what is ours because it's ours and it gives us power over someone else. And he's saying, as soon as you do that, you will have want. Because we are designed to give generously. Why? Because God is generous. That God did not withhold anything from us. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us the rescue we need through Jesus living the life that you did not live, dying the death that you should have, and beating sin and Satan and death. Right? That God has been generous to make a way back to him through Jesus. Right? That we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. And then has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so he says, you want to be like your father in heaven? Then you be generous. And this isn't about a dollar amount. This is about you giving out of what God has given to you. Energy, time, relationship, money, a listening ear, a helping hand. As you are reflecting your good father. And so we work so that we have the ability to be generous. We want to be generous at our jobs. We also, if you look in verse 1 of chapter 11, we want to be just in work. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. There was a, when, when things would be weighed out, whether it was grains or things being purchased, sometimes um, shopkeepers would adjust the, the balances and the weights in baskets and on the scales so that they would sell less for more money. And he's saying it's an abomination to the Lord to be a cheat, to not be just. That we long to be just and right and fair and have integrity in the work that we do. Just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that you should. Right? That we want to be just because the Lord is watching. Listen, think about how much we want this. As parents, right? That you are just to your children. When you get pulled over, you want that policeman to be just. If you have to go before a judge, you want them to be just. 
right? We long for our society to be just because there's fairness in it. And so we are called to mimic, to reflect the justice of God because God is just. He doesn't look at some and say, hey, you're just kind of special to me, so I'm going to overlook your sin, right? Like Jesus, we were all rebels in need of rescue, and the answer is the same for all of us in Christ. If you go over to chapter 14, verse 25, all of us know people who talk too much, right, at work, um, who, who do not, sorry, yeah, chapter 14, and, and so what we see here, right, is that work is involved, not just talking about work. Verse 23, in all toil, in all effort, in all work, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So he's saying at some point you've got to quit talking about it and do your job, right? We want to be good employees. We want to get the job done, what we have been paid to do, to be just in that, not to be a thief in stealing time or resources from our employer, that we are doing the job that we've been called to do. Still in, um, sorry, chapter 18. Can't read my own writing here. Chapter 13. That three looks like an eight. Verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This idea of like coming into like, um, like the lottery, basically, right? Or just coming into like a windfall of money. Saying like, that's not earned. And so often we see it squandered. Like that is like anecdotal to life, right? Like we see that when people get a large inheritance at a young age, when some young kid becomes famous at 12, right? People tend not to know how to spend money or how to handle things because they haven't had to work. And so what he's saying is, look, little by little are we gaining. The encouragement to us is this. God has not called us to have the most. He's called us to be faithful and successful, right? That what is success is faithful obedience day in and day out over the long haul. That it's not whoever has the most pleases God the most. But it's who is reflecting him through generosity and justice. Who's working hard. Who is being faithful and obedient. Right, what we're seeing in all of this is that we're called to love our neighbor well. Right, we're called in to, to take care and to serve others. Right, ultimately it's what the government's role is. Right, it's to serve its people. And so when it doesn't, when it doesn't feel generous or just or fair, those things, it riles us up. Right, a pastor's job is to serve and to love the, the people of the church. Parents' job is to love and to serve their children. A teacher's job is to love and to serve their students, right? Because God has loved us. Jesus has come not, right? He's come not to be served, but to serve. Like we are reflecting his image by loving and serving others. A good business will succeed if it loves and serves its customers. And good bosses will succeed if they love and serve their employees, Right, Because we are reflecting rightly the image of God. And we know that when those things begin to take place, it changes cultures. 
right? It changes work expectations and cultures that we know the difference between working for a good boss and a bad boss. And you're glad to take less money if you get a good boss, right? Once you've had a bad one and you get a good one, you're like, man, what do I have to sacrifice to stay here? Like, we're, we're glad to do those things because we know that work is more than the paycheck that we bring home. Turn back to chapter 11, verse 26. That we want to be honorable. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So what, what Solomon is talking about here is there's a, a need, there's a famine or some food scarcity and someone is holding on to what they have, right, so they can drive the price up. And he says, that person is, is, is cursed. But what a blessing is it on the head of the one who's willing to sell it. Like, he's honorable. He's not looking to gain unnecessary profit. He is looking to serve and to love. And he's still selling it, right? He's just not looking to gouge people. Right? Again, this is what we want in society, with our pastors, with our teachers, with our judges, with our police, right? We want builders to be honorable, like to build what they said they would build with the materials they said they would build it, how they said they would build it, so that we, and we're glad to pay them for it, but do it right, right? So that stuff doesn't fall, doesn't break, isn't cheap. We want our doctors, right, to be honorable and just in the way that they treat. We want to be a people who give hope, We have good news. And so when you can begin to be a just, generous, hopeful, right, someone who works hard and has a good work ethic in a job that's not great, right, you're saying my hope isn't in this job. It's not in this boss. It's not in this company. It's not in this product. It's not in my paycheck. It's in Jesus. And I'm able to work this way because I have a different perspective, That this isn't all that I'm working for. My purpose is bigger than this. Church, it will allow us to make some decisions that don't make sense in a capitalistic society. That you might turn down a promotion. You might turn down a bigger paycheck in a bigger place because of what God is doing and working in your life. Not always, right? But you can make decisions that might seem foolish to the world because you are honoring and pleasing and pursuing God. That you would be generous and maybe that generosity is I need to stay where I'm at because I'm loving and serving some certain people. And to leave, yeah, it would be good for me, but not good for them. That we would, we would question and ask those things and not just assume when the bigger, better job offer comes that that is clearly from God. Right? Like, that, it doesn't mean that it is. It could be, but it doesn't mean that it is. The world is going to judge our success based on the amount of money you have, the titles you have, the prestige you have, the power you have, right? The, and the power and the prestige and the money you have in a powerful, prestigious place, right? Like, that's the way you win. And Jesus says, no, I want you to be faithful, I want you to love and serve your neighbor, and I want you to be generous, and I want you to be just, and I want you to see success as faithfulness, and I want you to be honorable, and maybe I want you to do that right where you're at. I, I did a funeral a few weeks back, and I had someone tell me after the funeral, hey, you're wasting your life living in Pampa. 
Like, super encouraging, right? Um, and so, I, I mean, I just, I very clearly disagreed with them immediately. And he's like, you'll eat those words one day. Like, when you, when you go off somewhere else. And I'm like, man, I, I feel very clearly that God has blessed my family to get to live here. And I wake up every day grateful to live here. And to serve this place. And to love this place. And I want, to, I want my life to be poured out here for as many decades as God will give me. Right? Like, and, and so, that is a, a, an image of the world's perspective coming up against what God has called us to. That there are no small places or small people or small jobs. That we trust that God is in control and that he is knitting things together. And this is about an eternal kingdom not just worldly success. We want to love people. So, let's contrast this now to the lazy guy, right? So turn over to Proverbs 26. Verse 13. The sluggard, right, the lazy person, says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Right? I love the imagery here, right? Like, you see him just kind of flopping in his bed. Like, as the door turns, like, he's just, like, rolling around in his bed. Right? That he's too busy to eat. He got his hand to the dish, but the effort to get it back to my mouth, you know. Um... Right? That it's like, why, why is he not going to work? There's a lion in the street, right? There's no lion in the street, right? He just, he's making excuses. And what we see here with the sluggard is this, is they make excuses. They make insane excuses for their situation, right? They're afraid of being eaten by a lion, right? That they, they sleep too much, that they lack awareness, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Right? He's just saying, listen, this person is selfish. This person is concerned mostly for themselves and not for anyone else. They're not worried about who isn't being cared for and served and taken care of as they're sleeping. They're not, being, they're not concerned with what job isn't getting done when they're making excuses. Right? And so we're going to continue looking at this guy for a minute. In chapter 18, verse 9. We kind of lay out a caricature of this guy. Whoever is slack in his work, right? Whoever is lazy is a brother to him who destroys. Here's what Proverbs 18.9 is saying. Being lazy is a sin. He says the one who is slack in his work is like the one who destroys. So he's saying the one who steals, who kills, right? Who destroys things. And we're like, we'll call that sin. He's like, the one who's lazy is a brother to that guy. It's sin. Right? It's not just a character foible. It's not just a, a, a unique thing. It's sin. Turn over to chapter 19, verse 24. Uh, we, we read this one. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not bring it back to his mouth. Um, sorry, over to chapter 10, verse 26. This guy is unpleasant and if you work with lazy people you know this listen to how it describes them here i love the the imagery like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes is the sluggard to those who send him 
right? If you've had a lazy employee, right? Just the imagery here of like the smoke in your eyes. It's just like, it doesn't matter where you go. It just keeps coming and it drives you nuts. And you're like, you know, or vinegar in the mouth. This bitter taste is the lazy dude, right? You're just like, man, you're worthless, right? It's just kind of the thought of like, you're driving me insane. If you turn over to 13, chapter 4, or sorry, verse 4 of chapter 13. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So he lays out this imagery now, like this guy, he, he messes with other people, like he, he brings um, distrust and issue wherever he's working, right? He's a fool, he's, he's unaware, but he also says, listen, like he wants things, right? Typically what the, the, the lazy person is craving is comfort and is ease and is a lack of work, right? It's a lack of trouble. And he says he will crave things and he'll never find satisfaction, because he's not going to do the work to gain anything. And so where we see that as we reflect the image of God, we are reflecting his glory and his goodness. And we are loving and serving others, right? Our bosses and our employees and our co-workers and our kids and our students and our neighbors, right? They're only serving themselves and they won't even find satisfaction in that. In Hebrews, we saw that if we're not diligent, we drift. And we drift not towards Jesus. We don't drift towards good things. We drift away from good things. He says, listen, if you want to be Christ-like, you're going to be pursuing spiritually disciplines. You're going to pursue those things. And if you drift, you're going to drift into, into laziness. You're going to drift into identifying your work as the only thing that matters. You're going to identify with the success of the world and not of Jesus. You're going to drift away from the things that we've been called to, into ease and, and selfishness and sin. So listen, what do we do with this? We work as to the Lord. Listen to Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bond servants, right here, employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Jesus, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man. Are you saying like, as you work, as you do your job, do it like God is your boss, not just your boss. And you're thinking, okay, that's, that's easy if you have a good boss but what about if I have a bad boss? And so Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. Right? He's saying we are working ultimately for the Lord who sees, who knows, and who will vindicate, who will justify, and who will care for you. Our desire is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's the good news. You don't have to love your job today. You don't have to love your boss. You don't have to love your coworkers, right? Like you don't have to like, just like wake up every day going, I am so stoked to go do this, right? Like that does, because if we're not careful, we think that if, the, if that's what we have to feel, then we don't have purpose otherwise. And what, what the scriptures are teaching us is this, is that our purpose is to please God. And it's to work like he is our boss and he is the one 
who is leading us. And so whether our, our employees and our coworkers or our bosses are honoring or not ultimately doesn't matter because we are working for the Lord. And so here's the last thing as we, as we finish. Some of you, work is all-consuming, and it's a place of identity. And would we just be reminded this morning that we have been asked to Sabbath for a reason. You're not God. And things might be difficult if you take a break, but the world will keep on spinning. Like we are meant for a break, a weekly one, right? Because it's a reminder to our souls, is a reason we sleep, is because we're not God and we are not in control and He is. And would you be reminded this morning, you don't have to earn your salvation. Jesus has done the work and it is finished. The work is done, completed, and you don't have to earn it. And because of that, right, God is working on your behalf. Right, and I, and I love this. This is um, Ephesians two ten. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, that we should walk in good works. We should do these things. Right, and then in Colossians one, uh, verse twenty nine. For this I toil, right? So Paul's writing, I I work, I toil, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So God is at work in you, believer, today. He's at work in you. He is continuing this work. You are his workmanship, but we still will work to walk in faithfulness, to not drift, to pursue the things of God. And so when he calls us to rest, we rest. And he's called us to do that daily with sleep, with a weekly rest of Sabbath, because again, we are reflecting his image that I'm not in control. And listen, I'm the worst at this. I'm not good at this. I want to work all the time because I enjoy what I do. And that is displeasing to God because I'm saying, I don't trust that you're sufficient for people. They need me. Right? It's sin. Jesus has done the work and he is continuing to work on our behalf. And so this morning, if you're lazy, it's sin. And if you're a workaholic, it's sin. But we have been freed to work. And we've been freed to rest. Listen, if we are freed to rest, then we get to run hard. We saw earlier in in Proverbs 15, there's a path laid out before us. And if we're freed, then we can just run. You ever been in a dark room that you know well, and you still move freely about? Versus being in a dark room where you've never been, and you're like super ginger, like, you know, like... You're afraid you're going to run into something entirely the entire time. If we are freed to run hard because our salvation is secure. And there's a, there's a task at hand. It is honoring, worshiping, and pleasing God and seeing others come to know him. And so there is a, there's a reason we're not lazy. It's because there's been a job given to us to be on mission for the glory of God, for his praise, and for the good of others. And so we want to run hard in that, knowing our salvation is not secured to it. Our salvation is secure. And so now we can do what God has called us to. And if you're lazy or you struggle in areas of laziness, it's, it's like running. If you haven't run in years, you're not going to go run a marathon today. But you can begin to take a step towards being in better health 
in better shape. You can make incremental steps because laziness begun, begins to become a way of thinking, right? We are lazy in our spirit like we can be lazy in our bodies. And we don't fix it today, but we take a step in the right direction. Because Jesus is enough. And that sin is forgivable. And his grace is sufficient. So church, would we be a people who trust that Jesus is enough for us? That he's done the work. And thus we can work hard. And we can rest well as we long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, there is so much fodder here for discussion this week as to how these, this works out and implicates, or the implications of life. Um, but let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we need you, that our tendency um, is to mess things up. God, that we take a good gift like work and we make it God. And we take a good gift like work and we become lazy to it. God, we just, we need wisdom from you to look at our current situation and to see where am I pleasing you and where am I not. God, will you give us wisdom if we're needing to make a job change? God, that we'd be willing to do that if that's what you've called us to. But God, would we also be willing to stay if that's what you've called us to? Even if it doesn't make sense at the moment. God, we're asking you to provide the wisdom we need be people who rightly reflect your image. In Jesus' name, amen.